Friends, it's not every day that the subject of communion makes it into the news headlines. But that very thing happened not long ago when a group of conservative leaders spearheaded by the Roman Catholic Church rose up in outrage at the Huffington Post and the parent company of the Huffington Post, AOL. After the Huffington Post allowed one of its contributing writers to write a blistering column that compared Roman Catholics to pedophiles and attacked the celebration of communion as a barbaric ritual. Now, for those of you who may not have heard about this story when it occurred, Larry Doyle, who is a novelist, he is a writer, he is a former contributor, and he's even a producer of that famously crass cartoon, The Simpsons, Larry Doyle wrote a volatile article in, that was appearing on the website of the Huffington Post. The article was entitled, this was back in 2012, this article was entitled, The Jesus-Eating Cult of Rick Santorum. Now, in this brief article, Mr. Doyle criticized the Roman Catholic beliefs of Mr. Rick Santorum, beliefs that Mr. Doyle felt were not only backward and contrary to the good of society, but beliefs that he felt were ridiculous and phony. Now, family, what caused conservative leaders, as well as the Roman Catholic Church, to be so incensed about this particular article was the fact that in making his point, Mr. Doyle, who is actually a former Roman Catholic himself, Mr. Doyle purposefully used distasteful insults and some very offensive speech comparing Roman Catholics to pedophiles and the Catholic communion to a barbaric, bloodthirsty ritual. I want you to listen to one particular paragraph that Mr. Doyle wrote, this paragraph regarding Catholic communion. He said this, quote, Santorum and his fellow Roman Catholics participate in a barbaric ritual dating back two millennia, a mass in which a black-robed cleric casts a spell over some bread and wine, transfiguring it into the actual living flesh and blood of their Christ. Followers then line up to eat the Jesus meat and drink his holy blood in a cannibalistic reverie not often seen outside Cinemax. Believers, there's no doubt this article by Mr. Doyle was malicious and it was demeaning. It was completely over the top. But you know, family, this article also certainly exposes the ongoing struggle that many people continue to have when it comes to interpreting and when it comes to understanding Jesus' teaching in the New Testament on consuming His body and His blood. And so, friends, just before we take time this morning to celebrate the Lord's Supper together where we remember Jesus' body and His blood that was given for us, Family, this morning I want us to take some time together to examine that very important but often misunderstood passage of Scripture where Jesus really does talk about eating His flesh and drinking His blood. And I want us to look at this text this morning, Christians, so that you and I can get a better understanding 
of what Jesus actually meant when he said those words. So if you would, friends, let's take our Bibles this morning. Let's go to the Gospel of John, chapter 6. John, chapter 6. Now, family, as we come to this text, this morning you and I are picking up the narrative here. We're picking up the flow of the story. This is the day after Jesus had performed the miracle of the fishes and the loaves. The day after, many, many people came to Jesus yet again, but Jesus rebuked these people. He rebuked them because they were coming to him, not because they were truly hungry for spiritual truth, but rather they were just hungry to get some more free bread from Jesus. Well, after rebuking the crowd, Jesus launches into this teaching section, this discourse that goes from John chapter 6, it begins in verse 29, and it goes down through verse 40. And in this teaching section, Jesus declares himself to be the true bread which God sent down from heaven. Now, later that same day, Jesus finds himself in the synagogue. He's in the synagogue there at Capernaum, and some of the Jews are there, and some of the Jews are continuing to grumble about these earlier teachings that Jesus had made before the crowd. And so now Jesus, for a second time, begins to teach again about this topic, making even more strong affirmations about his reality of being the bread of life. Well, family, we come to this text here this morning. It's a very challenging text. It goes from verse 47 all the way down through verse 59. How does this situation unfold? And what spiritual truths is Jesus really trying to teach when he talks about consuming his flesh and his blood? Well, family, this morning I want to show you as we look at the text together, I want us to consider three critical acts. Three critical acts that are here. And here's the first one. Number one, if you're taking some notes, Jesus explains that he is the true bread of heaven. I want to show you this first of all in the scripture. Number one, Jesus explains that he is the true bread of heaven. Look with me at John 6, beginning in verse 47. Jesus says, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven, that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. Now, family, in today's modern church service, you and I are very used to a very formal worship service where there's a, a formalized kind of structure, a formalized uh, leadership, where typically there's just one person on any given Sunday. Typically, it's just one person who does the teaching in a traditional American worship service, and that's the pastor. The pastor is typically the one guy who's up there doing the talking, doing the teaching, and the preaching. But back during the times of the New Testament, in the time of the ancient Jewish synagogue, there really wasn't always just one teacher. Rather, it was done by lay people. Many of the men inside the Jewish synagogue, just men of, of lay people status, would take turns 
opening the scriptures and reading them and explaining them. Well, when some of these Jews were continuing to grumble among each other uh, about Jesus' teachings earlier that day, about him being the bread, uh, notice Jesus here seizes the opportunity to step forward and do some more teaching, some more teaching on these important spiritual truths that started when he was outside teaching the crowd. Now, as we get to verses 47 and 48, Christians, notice what we have here at the beginning is really a summary a tremendous summary of what Jesus has been trying to emphasize during this teaching time. Did you see it there? Verse 47, Jesus says, He who believes in me, he who puts his heartfelt trust in me, has everlasting life. That's the first big idea. And the second one there you see is, I am the bread of life. Now, family, for modern-day Americans like you and me, this affirmation or this teaching by Jesus saying that he is the bread of life or that Jesus is the life-giving bread that came down from heaven, as Americans, that may not mean much to you. But for every Jewish person who heard Jesus say this, this was a statement that was pregnant with meaning. You see, from the time that they were children... From their earliest days, every Jew had been raised on the teachings and the narrations, all the history of the book of Moses. And every Jewish person knew the stories of the legendary hero, Moses, who was leading the children of Israel. And it was during that time that the life-giving manna came down from heaven to feed Israel's hungry bellies as they were going through the wilderness. And so for Jesus Christ to make any kind of comparison between himself and the famous Moses, well, you can be sure that really got some people's attention. And as we're going to see for many of these folks, it made them quite angry. But notice, Jesus isn't just making a statement here for effect. Jesus actually begins to explain. He begins to teach further in verses 49 through 51. Look at verse 49. Family, everybody knows the story of the Israelites wandering in the wilderness and eating that special manna. You remember the special manna that came down from heaven each evening? But Jesus points out here something interesting. What happened to those ancient Jews? What happened to those first Israelites who ate the special manna in the wilderness? For as special as that manna was, they still died. They still died. Yes, that manna was so unique, it was so special, it was supernatural, it certainly met their physical needs in the short term, but Jesus wants to show them here that manna did not meet their spiritual needs in the long term. That manna did not provide any kind of eternal life or spiritual life. And so look at verse 50, family. Here's now the contrast. Jesus says, this is the bread that comes down from heaven. And family, I think many Bible scholars are correct. Many Bible scholars think that when Jesus said the word this, that he began to point to himself. Jesus says, this is is the bread which comes down from heaven that one may eat of it and not die. I think that's right. Jesus probably was pointing to himself at this moment. So what bread could possibly come down from heaven to give eternal life? Well, Jesus answers it. Verse 51. 
I am the living bread that comes down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. So Christians, what is Jesus asserting here? What is Jesus teaching here? What he's saying is that while God sent down a material bread from heaven in the form of manna, that physical bread that came down to meet people's needs in the past, Jesus is now saying he is the true bread. He's the living bread. He's the bread of life. He's the bread that also came down from heaven in the present that their spiritual needs might be met in order that they would have eternal life. Remember when that manna was given to the Israelites? They could see it. They could touch it. It was there for them. And now Jesus says that he is the living bread. They can see him. They can touch him. He's there in front of their eyes. And Jesus says it is his flesh that he will give. His body that he is going to give. And as we know, his body will go to the cross for sinners. Family, according to Jesus, whoever ate of the manna had their life extended for a time. But Jesus says, whoever will take of his bread, whoever will partake of the living bread, will live for eternity. And did you notice, friends, Jesus' bread, did you see this? Jesus' bread isn't limited only for Jewish people. Look again at verse 51. Jesus says, his flesh will be given to give eternal life to the world. Not only for Jews, but for all kinds of people, for the world, people from every nation and tongue and tribe and people group on earth. And we know, friends, isn't that exactly what the rest of the New Testament goes on to teach us? That Jesus, in fact, would give his body for us on the cross? Look in your notes, it's 1 Peter 2, 24. Peter writes there, speaking about Jesus, he himself bore our sins Look what it says, in his body on the tree, that is on the cross, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness by his wounds, you have been healed. Now, Christians, let's move forward. We're looking at this very important text. It is a very controversial text from the word of God. And let's see what Jesus teaches next. I want you to see now, number two, family, a second critical act that happens here. A second critical act, number two, the crowd exposes their outrage and lack of understanding. Number two, the crowd exposes their outrage and lack of understanding. Look at verse 52. The Jews therefore quarreled among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat. Family, we get here to verse 52. The Jews are in the synagogue. They've heard Jesus teaching. And now what starts out as this mild kind of grumbling, muffled kind of under their breath uh, grumbling, starts to turn into a louder kind of intense quarreling amongst themselves. Look, it was one thing for Jesus to make this public statement out to the crowds that, that he was the bread come down from heaven. 
But now here they are, and Jesus teaches again. Jesus has had a chance now to clarify, to expound on his earlier comments. He's now here in the synagogue, and it seems as if he's going even further. He's saying even stronger things now that he's had a chance to speak a little more. And so these Jews begin to grumble with each other, and they look at each other and say, did he really say that? Did he really say that the only people who are going to have access to eternal life are the people who eat the living bread, which is his flesh? Did he really say that? For the Jews gathered, for these Jews listening, they may not have completely understood what Jesus was trying to teach, but one thing was very clear, they were bothered by it. They were bothered by this. How in the world could this man be talking about offering up his own flesh as food? Well, friends, listen, as we watch these Jews in the synagogue struggle to grasp the meaning that Jesus is going for, it becomes very clear that these Jews inside the synagogue are not that much different from all the crowds that were outside, hoping that Jesus would just give them some free physical food. Family, look back to verses 32 and following of this same chapter. Just skim back there. You're, in the, you're right here in John 6. So just look back to verse 32. Jesus had said to the assembled crowd, Most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the true bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is He who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Now look, friends, look, Christians. Look how the crowd replies in the very next verse. Verse 34. Then they said to Him, Lord, give us this bread always. Family, Jesus is trying to communicate something deep here, something spiritual. But these people could not see it because they were so fixated on the physical. They were fixated on, on physical realities. Jesus is talking here about spiritual bread, the bread that gives spiritual life, eternal life. And what, are the crowd, what does the crowd think he's talking about? Real bread, real bread, physical bread, actual bread, which they are, they are pumped to hear. They can't wait. Tell us all about it. Tell us all about this great free bread you're going to give us. But family, this isn't the only time that people have ever missed the spiritual point that Jesus was going for because of spiritual blindness you might remember, family, right here in the same gospel, just a couple chapters back in John chapter 3. Jesus in John 3 has a late night meeting with one of Israel's legendary teachers, a man named Nicodemus. And in John 3, verse 3, Jesus says to Nicodemus, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You remember what Nicodemus' response was? Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Here was Nicodemus, one of the great teachers, 
one of the most respected religious teachers in all of Israel. And in his spiritual blindness, he could not see what Jesus was talking about. He was fixated on a physical birth. What? What? How can an, how can an old man go back inside his mother's womb a second time? So here again is an example of someone not seeing spiritually what Jesus was talking about. But can I give you one more example? Right here in the Gospel of John of someone fixated on, on the physical rather than the spiritual. How about in the very next chapter of John 4, Jesus' interaction with the woman at the well. Jesus says to that Samaritan woman in verse 13 of John 4, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water I give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. And what did that woman say? Sir, give me some of this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Just like Nicodemus and just like the people in the synagogue after her, the woman, too, was fixated on the physical, physical things such that she was blinded to the spiritual things, the spiritual realities that Jesus was talking about. So believers, here's the point. We see these Jews in the synagogue. They're, they're arguing with each other. They're grappling, trying to understand what Jesus is talking about with this veiled saying. But listen, the blame here is not at the feet of Jesus. We don't lay any blame at the feet of Jesus, but at the feet of his listeners. The reason they were so perplexed, the reason they were so outraged, was because of their calloused hearts. Their spiritually cold hearts were so fixated on what was physical. They were blinded to the spiritual realities that Jesus wanted to teach them about. The spiritual things was the main point. And Christian friends, isn't it true even today? How many people today simply can't ever grasp spiritual things? They, gra they just can't grasp it because they're so fixated on what is here and what is now and what is temporal and what is touchable. They can't understand or, or grasp or even apply spiritual things. Well, family, with this group of angry Jews before him, just like Jesus did with Nicodemus and just like Jesus did with the woman at the well, Jesus takes time now to, to teach further, to go deeper, to, to take his sayings even further so that these folks can truly understand what he's talking about. And family, that leads us now to our third point, this third act I want you to see this, number three. Jesus expounds an important metaphor on the source of salvation. Number three, Jesus expounds an important metaphor on the source of salvation. Would you look with me at verse 53? Now, this is the text where everyone starts to get upset. This is the text that causes so much controversy, even today. Verse 53 and following. Then Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, 
and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. These things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Now, Christians, just a minute ago, we saw how perplexed, we saw how outraged these Jewish people were in verse 52 when they heard Jesus say that whoever eats of this bread, the living bread, which is his flesh, will live forever. Now, of course, the reason why they could not comprehend Jesus' statement is because they were looking at it solely from a physical point of view rather than the spiritual but family, in addition to that, what made Jesus' claim so hard to swallow, pardon the pun, what made his claim so hard to swallow for these Jews was the long-standing teaching of the Old Testament Scriptures, which specifically forbid Jews from drinking blood or eating any meat that had the blood still in it. Look in your notes. I gave you Leviticus 17, which is a famous verse, especially for Jewish people. Leviticus 17, 11, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. Therefore, I have said to the people of Israel, No person among you shall eat blood, neither shall any stranger who sojourns among you eat blood. Well, family, even though these Jews could not make a distinction in their minds between the physical and the spiritual, that didn't stop Jesus from plowing ahead and teaching more and reaffirming what he's been teaching this whole chapter. And that is that he is the true bread of heaven that must be eaten to have eternal life. Look at verse 53. In fact, it gets as certain as Jesus can say it. I mean, he doesn't get any more certain than when Jesus says, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless. That word unless is important. Underline it. That's a condition. That is a condition that must be met unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood. You have no life in you. Verse 55, for my flesh is food indeed and my blood is drink indeed. Now friends, without a doubt, these verses are some of the most hotly contested verses of the New Testament. And depending on who you ask, you will get a variety of explanations as to their interpretation and their meaning. For, for thinkers and for theologians in the Roman Catholic Church, when they read these verses, they look at the content of these verses. The Roman Catholic Church interprets these verses as a primary proof text for sacramentalism. In other words, Catholic leaders look at this text and they say, this is the text where Jesus is talking about the Eucharist, the sacrifice of the Mass, where through the mystical power of 
of transubstantiation, the communion wafer, is mystically transformed into the literal body of Jesus, and the communion wine is mystically transformed into the literal blood of Jesus. But Christian friends, I vehemently disagree with that interpretation. In the first place, family, the historical time frame here is John 6. The historical time frame is that the Lord's Supper hasn't even been established yet. The institution of the Lord's Supper, remember Christians, doesn't come until the very end of Jesus' ministry, the night before he was crucified. So this text can't be about Jesus teaching about the Lord's Supper because that doesn't happen until the very end of his ministry. But then secondly, family, another reason why I disagree with that Roman Catholic interpretation of this text is as Dr. John MacArthur highlights so clearly in his commentary, if Jesus was speaking about communion here in this text, then that would mean this text is teaching that anyone who would ever take communion ever automatically has eternal life. If you say that this text is teaching communion, then anyone who has ever taken communion ever would have eternal life. And that is not what the Bible teaches. That is not what Scripture teaches. That runs contrary to everything that we read and study in the New Testament about how salvation is really received, that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. So friends, listen, to think that this text that we just read is somehow giving instructions or insights on the Eucharist is a radical misinterpretation, a radical misapplication of this text. So now we're left with the question. If Jesus isn't speaking about sacramentalism, if Jesus isn't speaking about the Roman Catholic idea of the Eucharist, then what does he mean? What does he mean when he talks about eating his flesh and drinking his blood? Well, friends, the answer to that question begins with us realizing that Jesus is using a metaphor here. Jesus is using a figure of speech. Jesus is using an analogy here. There's an analogy at work here. Jesus is driving home this powerful spiritual point. Here's the point, and I know you can see this. Just as a person must have nutritious food and drink in order to sustain their physical life as human beings, so Jesus is making this analogy that human beings must also appropriate Him. He is the spiritual food and the spiritual drink that human beings must appropriate if we are to have spiritual life and live eternally. Now, family, I'm going to show you a little chart on the screen right now. Over the years, I have read a number of books on camping and backpacking and outdoor survival. I just I love being outside. Many of you know that. I'm a backpacker, outdoor type person. I enjoy that a lot. I've read a number of books over the years on this topic, and, 
And one of the important things that many authors write about in their books is this important physical principle that exists on our planet today, and it's often called the law of threes. Some of you have perhaps bumped into this, the law of threes. For a human being to survive physically, we cannot go more than three minutes without oxygen. We must have it. We must have it to, to stay alive. In the next one there you see, we must uh, be, have shelter. We cannot go more than three hours without shelter. And right now when it's, when it's minus five outside, maybe, maybe we would say that'd be shortened. Maybe the, the, the frostbite would start at about maybe three or four minutes, and then it would all go downhill from there. So you must have shelter. You must have protection from the elements. You can't go more than three hours in a harsh environment without shelter. How about the next one? Water. You cannot go more than three days as a human being without water. You must have that life-giving hydration. And then there's the final three. Human beings cannot go more than three weeks without food. You, your body requires it. You have to have nourishment up until that three-week period. So family, you can see the point here, right? If you, if you don't have oxygen, if you don't have water, if you don't have food, well, as a human being, you're, you're not going to make it. You must physically take in those things, the oxygen, the water, the food. You must take those things in if you hope to survive. Now friends, listen, even though these verses that Jesus gives here are, are a difficult figure of speech, it does sound shocking at first listen. Jesus is making a similar point here in regard to himself, that he is the spiritual sustenance that we must have if we are to have eternal life. Unless you have the spiritual sustenance that comes from Jesus' body and blood, Jesus says you will die spiritually. And so friends, now that we know that what Jesus is emphasizing here is not something physical, what he's emphasizing is spiritual. This is a spiritual truth. It's a spiritual application. Therefore, we can say, Jesus is not calling people to eat his flesh physically. Jesus is not calling people to drink his blood physically, but rather to take him in, to appropriate him to yourself. And how do you do that? Through believing in him, through receiving him and friends, that is the truth that is echoed in this chapter over and over again. Can we see it, family, in the context? This is what Jesus is talking about when he says about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. He's talking about appropriating him to our lives. And how do we do that? By believing on him, by receiving him. Just look right here in this chapter, family. The context makes it all clear. Look back to verse 29. Verse 29 of the same chapter. This is the work of God that you believe in Him whom He sent. Verse 35. Jesus says, He who comes to Me shall never hunger, and he who believes in Me will never thirst. Verse 37. The one who comes to Me I will by no means cast out. Verse 40. Everyone who sees the Son and 
believes in him may have everlasting life. Verse 47, he who believes in me has everlasting life. So do you see it, Christians? When Jesus uses these figures of speech, eating his flesh and drinking his blood, he's using a metaphor that is about believing on him, to accept him for yourself, to accept him, bring him in, appropriate him to your life by faith to receive all those benefits that he would bring to you. Family, look in your notes. I love this great quote from Dr. R.C. Sproul. Sproul said this, quote, Jesus was calling for a deep commitment. He told his disciples, you have to come to me, be united to me, feast upon me, not just have a casual relationship with me. To put it another way, Jesus declared that religion won't do it. Church attendance won't do it. Good works in and of themselves won't do it. The only thing that gets us into the kingdom of God by which, we, by which we participate in the gift of eternal life, is union with Jesus Christ. To emphasize this, our Lord said, you have to take all of me as if you were ingesting me. Dear friend, if you're here today and you're not a Christian, I would just reach out to you and invite you to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus says you must believe on Him. You must accept Him. Him. You must appropriate Him and His benefits to your life. You, just like you take food, what do you do with food? You just don't look at it. You, you receive it. You eat it. You absorb it. You accept it. You take it into you. It becomes part of you. And that's what Jesus says you must do to have eternal life. You must accept Jesus. You must invite Him into your life. You must appropriate the spiritual life that he gives. Friend, if you've never done that, I would just implore you today to turn from your sins, confess your sins to Jesus, and invite him into your life. Invite him to be your Lord and your Savior even today. Well, believers, as we draw this message to a close and we set our eyes on the Lord's Supper, I hope this study today, I hope it's helped you get a, a better grasp on these words that down through the ages have caused so much controversy and heated discussion. Family, in my opinion, not only does the world not understand this passage correctly, neither does the largest church in the world, the Roman Catholic Church. Tragically, even the Roman Catholics too have missed the proper interpretation and application of this important text. And as a result of that, their followers continue to go in the errors of sacramentalism and transubstantiation. So Christians, as you and I gather around the supper today, please understand, please know, Christian, that Jesus did not ask you to physically eat his flesh or literally drink his blood. Christian, what Jesus did ask was for you to hear him and to accept him by faith, to receive him to yourself, believing that it was his body given for you and his blood spilled there at the cross that bought for you the precious gift of eternal life. So Christian friend, if you have accepted Christ as your Savior, if you've received him, 
If you have believed on him alone for salvation, then I would just encourage you to come to the table today with great gratitude and great worship in your hearts. Praise God, believers. The living bread did come down from heaven. And because you received it, because you accepted it by faith, Jesus promises that you will live forever. Thanks for listening. This Preaching for a Change broadcast has been brought to you by the Grace Baptist Church of Hazleton, Pennsylvania. For more information, visit us online at mygracebaptist.church. If you enjoyed this broadcast, then share it with a friend on your favorite social media network. And be sure to join us next time for more enlightening and encouraging biblical exposition here on Preaching for a Change.